Welcome to the Calamunda Sermon Cast. This message was first delivered live at Calamunda Church of Christ. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share again with you today. And um, as far as we know, this is the final, final message. Um, but um, it's been great and I've really enjoyed being able to come and, and share with you um, about things that maybe God has done in my life, but also just some of the discoveries that I've been making throughout uh, the book of Romans and I think if we come to God's word with an open heart and an open mind and open spirit he always continues to show us new things and um, I think that is the key thing as long as we're open to him then he will show us new things he will bring new truths out of his Bible not that they weren't there before they have been but sometimes we just don't see them and uh, I think it's fantastic when we begin to discover some of the things that God's word says to us that Maybe we haven't been aware of in the past or uh, maybe we have been aware but they just haven't sunk in. There are many times where we repeat things and say things and they, they don't necessarily seem to, to mean something to us. I remember a story um, many years ago that I heard and apparently a true one of a, an Anglican minister and uh, one of the things that concerned the people who were listening to him, or at least a couple of people in the congregation, as they just felt he didn't really have a personal relationship with God. And, and that's quite possible for people to be in ministry and not have a personal relationship with God, believe it or not. John Wesley is probably one of the most famous people who ministered and preached for many years, and, and it was only while he was in ministry he suddenly discovered the need for a personal relationship with God because he had the head knowledge, just didn't have the heart knowledge. And um, this particular anchor minister, the, the, the people were really praying for him. This couple of ladies were, you don't underestimate older ladies. Uh, uh, if, they, if they start to look at you and they've got this sort of concentrated look, you're in trouble. Okay, in one way or other, you're in trouble. Anyway, these two ladies decided they were going to, they made a pact, they were going to pray for this Anglican minister that he would come into this personal relationship with Jesus because they just felt that every time he preached and spoke his message it just didn't touch the heart it was very um, very oriented towards study into understanding words and semantics but didn't touch the heart and so they began to pray for him and they would sit down the front which I think is even more daunting um, yeah sit down the front and just sort of eyeball him throughout the service, but in their hearts, praying, you know, Lord, just open us up. And one particular Sunday, it was Easter Sunday, and they were going through the traditional Anglican things, and um, the response of the congregation was there, and he was there, um, and the response, the particular thing he was saying, and had got up to in the liturgy, was, uh, the Lord is risen. And the congregation's response, which also is part of the liturgy, was, the Lord is risen indeed. So they get to that part and he says, the Lord is risen in the congregation. The Lord is risen indeed. Then there was this pause. And he looked at it again and said, the Lord is risen. And the congregation again faithfully responded, the Lord is risen indeed. Get a pause. And then he went, the Lord is risen. And by this time the congregation's going, we've already done this. <laughs> but faithful faithful to the liturgy, so again said, the Lord is risen indeed. And then there was this sudden pause and they said, it was like this light suddenly lit up and he said, my God, he really is risen. <laughs> <laughs> and 
Um, they didn't tell me what the response of the congregation was, liturgy-wise, but for this guy, all of a sudden, it was this realisation was, my goodness, I've been saying these words for how many years in the liturgy, and all of a sudden it was like the truth of it suddenly sank home, suddenly became real to him. And once God's word becomes real to us, it changes us. It actually does something in our hearts and even our minds. You don't see things the same way that you used to see them. And when I've come to Romans, I, I love, um, I'm going to read you some uh, from Romans, but I'm actually reading it from the message this morning. I hope that's um, not heresy here at the church. Um, but um, the reason I'm doing it is because, you know what, sometimes I find I like to get a different translation and read it because it, I become over-familiar I become over-familiar with things and I become over-familiar sometimes with God's word and I read it and I've read it, I don't know how many times I've read God's word and the problem can be is it becomes like a, we learn it by rote, we know it and as soon as someone starts to say something our minds automatically begin to fill it in and so sometimes I like to read um, from a different version because it really, it throws me, I find I go back and say, hang on a minute, does it say that and I'll go back to the other Bible I normally use to check and see and compare. That's good because I need to be shaken sometimes. I need to be taken out of my complacency. And um, so let me just read to you, if you have the message, it is Romans chapter 5 and the third paragraph because the message doesn't have verses in it. Uh, So it sort of reads straight through, which is fantastic. So let me read um, some of this to you. Okay, so looking at uh, Romans chapter 5. And even if we've been weak, even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. We can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. And there's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. And Paul goes on in this chapter to talk about um, how the fact is that we need to know that God wants to pour out into our love, love into our hearts and into our lives. And he says this, if when we were at our worst, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son, now that we're at our best, Just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. Now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say it in plodding prose. We sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus the Messiah. And I love that. We sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus the Messiah. When we talk in the Bible and it talks about the joy, the joy of the Lord... Um, is our strength. The word joy means exuberance. 
exuberance. It's just something that bursts out of us. It's not the, and when he talks about plodding prose, look, I can't help but sometimes think about the fact that sometimes we can, we come to church and sometimes doesn't it feel as though we're just plodding? You know, doesn't it feel sometimes, and you've got the team up here leading in worship and it's fine for them, you know, but they haven't been through what I've been through. My week has not been like their week. So it's fine for them to get up here and sing praise, but don't expect me to necessarily sit there and sing praise and, and we sort of plod through. It's, it's a heavy going. It's just heavy going. And yet Paul is saying here, hang on a minute, we should be singing and shouting our praises to God through Jesus the Messiah. There should be an exuberance in us that just wants to burst out of us, that comes out. There is nothing like meeting someone who is joyful. There's nothing like meeting someone who's just excited. I'll never forget um, the birth of, of Joel and um, yeah, our first child. And I, I can still, it was just, for me, just so overwhelming. It was just a, a, this amazing miracle that had happened. And I can still remember just feeling like there would be absolutely nothing that could happen during that day. There would be absolutely nothing anyone could say that could take away that joy that I had in the fact that we now had a son. And we had this child and I can still remember it as clearly as anything. And I pity anyone who came during that day to see me for counsel uh, because it didn't matter whether they said to me, you know, I'm, I'm having a really bad time and things aren't going well and I would be going, really? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Let me share something with you. <laughs> I couldn't care less because I've just had a son. Yeah. And it was just this, just this overwhelming bubbling within me. I just wanted to tell everyone that uh, my son, yeah, our son had been born. It's just this fantastic experience. Nothing could take that feeling away of the joy of having a child. Yeah, Pam wasn't feeling the same way, but I was. I was excited. I was excited. Well, she was sort of, but she was tired as well. And I think we're in trouble as Christians today. I think that we need to look at where we're at as Christians. I think we need to look at ourselves and look at the wider Christian community around us. You know, the suicide rate is the same in Christian circles as it is in non-Christian circles amongst our young people. Depression is the same percentage-wise amongst Christians as it is amongst non-Christians. The anger of violence or abuse that happens behind closed doors is the same in Christian circles as it is in non-Christian circles. And everything within me says it shouldn't be that way. Everything within me says the gift that Jesus Christ has given us, the love he has shared with us, should so draw us to God that there should be an exuberance that begins to wipe out some of these things or at least give us a balance in some of these things or that at the midst of it we can still hang on even with our teeth because we know God is God and that he loves us and cares for us and he wants to pour his life into us. But I wonder if that's we need to understand and we need to think about where we've come from and where we're going. Up until this passage, Paul has been quite reasoned and everything has been a reasoned approach. Abraham this and Abraham that and this is what happened and this is how the Jews grew and this is what happened with Israel and this is how circumcision came about and this is how he's got this very reasoned approach and it's almost like he gets to this chapter and he stops maybe he reads it back and thinks 
my goodness, how depressing. You know, all I've done so far is gone through all the law and gone through all the, what has happened in the past and what's going on. And he doesn't want them to just stop at that point. He doesn't want them to realize and think about God as he's just a God of the law. He wants them to realize how freeing God is and how much God releases into our lives. The passion of Jesus And so that's why he says in this, he begins to say, hang on a minute, I know, I know I've been saying all this, but I want to tell you something, Christ arrived at the right time. He came at the right time. And what I love about it is he says, even though at that time you weren't ready and you weren't even feeling in a good place, it doesn't matter. God didn't wait till you were ready. He did it anyway. He got up there and he sent Jesus Christ to this earth to die for us. Because he loves us so much. And what I love about this passage is he's saying, do you not understand that Jesus died for us? Jesus died for us. The problem for us sometimes as Christians is we stop at the death of Jesus Christ. It's great to lay our burdens at the foot of the cross. It's great to understand and realize that sin is taken away. And our sins are forgiven through the death of Jesus Christ. But I believe God also wants to take us on to the resurrection. And he says it's the resurrection power. If God did this for you and gave you Jesus and Jesus died for you, even while you were sinners, even while you didn't even know God, even while you didn't even want God, now that you do want God, how much more should we share in the power and the passion of the resurrection life of Jesus Christ? I think we've sort of missed that in some ways. But that's because I think sometimes we settle for a head knowledge rather than the heart knowledge. Of Jesus, Because do you know what? It's the heart that really turns us on to God. It's a bit, um, it's a bit like a recipe. You know, reading a recipe is not exciting. Sorry, folks, but maybe some of you think it is. Um, I personally do not find a recipe exciting. Um, I can look at a recipe and I know what it says to do, but it doesn't inspire me to go out and do it. You know, I can read it. I can read it. I know how to measure out ingredients. You know, if it says half a cup, it's half a cup. That's pretty easy. May get confused when it says one teaspoon, you know, and I'm not quite sure what that is. But you know, other than that, but it doesn't excite me. Nothing that's I, I don't. You know, my wife doesn't come home. And, oh, passionate love. Just found this fantastic recipe. Oh, you know, I mean, she'd think I was crazy. You know? When when I'm cooking anyway, it's very different. Pam's a absolutely fantastic cook, and we're really blessed to you know let her stay in the house. Um, the boys and myself agreed that that's okay as long as she continues to cook Um, she does a fantastic job you know I I, and Pam hates it when I cook in the kitchen she really does you know because um, I'm not ordered and I am messy and there's stuff all over the place and and you know it does look like something's gone off in the kitchen and um, and I'm there and busy and she'll be coming in saying look honey what are you doing what's happening you know, like, honey leave it alone it's okay I've got this organized it doesn't matter I know it looks a mess but you can't interrupt when I'm doing this and trying to boil an egg all right just leave me with this recipe it's all right well I don't get excited about a recipe but then some time ago I was reading a detective novel I love detective novels I was reading this particular detective novel and the writer had this fantastic ability to write creatively and so they described in this detective novel um, how this uh, this person this detective was cooking these crab cakes these crab cutlet things you know like fish cakes but crab cakes and and even detailed the uh, the mint and the 
you know, stuff that went into it and the deal and stuff like that. Well, I was so enamoured by it that I went out and bought crab you know, and the dill and the mint and stuff like that, which we didn't have, and my wife still says it was one of the most expensive moves we've ever had. But I was so enamoured and I was so, um, you know, it inspired me to actually do something and go out and do it. Just reading it, the story around it made me want to go and experience this particular thing. And I think this is sometimes we can get so just, we're aware of the facts. We know Jesus died for us. We know that he saved us from a sin. But it becomes facts rather than the beauty of the story and the passion of the story we miss and we don't really understand. Um, I may well have told you uh, this some time back, but let me refresh you because for me, this really highlights for me the passion God wants us to have and how God sees us. Um, some time back when I was in uh, college, going through Bible college, and I'd gone down south to look at a church that um, I'd been asked if I would go and pastor. And um, it was the middle of winter, so some of what we did next seems pretty inexplicable in actual fact. Um, and it was a farming community, and so one of the young guys there I knew, um, he was also going to college, and, and it was uh, the church that his family went to. And so I'd gone down, and I was staying on the farm, and it honestly was one of the worst winters that we'd had for many years. It was down near Kojanup, and in fact the main highways got totally cut off, the flooded, which only happens, you know, maybe every 30 or 40 years or something. But this is one of those times, and the main roads were flooded, and I could not get back up to Perth anyway. Um, from you know, driving a car because of the, the flooded roads. For some reason, again, don't ask me why we did this, but the, uh, this friend of mine had a bright idea and said, let's, let's, let's take the canoe out on the lake. Yeah. Now, you know, water to me is... I, I, I hate water, all right? I'm not a swimmer. I'm not very good at those sorts of things. I didn't grow up in a family where sports was important. You know, so forget Auskick. Um, you know, that wasn't something we never learned. I never learned to kick a football, for goodness sakes, you know. And um, so this, but for some reason, some stupid reason, I agreed. So we go out on the lake, which is the most flooded it's ever been. And it was roughly about two, two and a half kilometres across. Okay. So we go out. It's, it's winter, folks. I've got this thick woolen jumper on, a skivvy and a T-shirt. That's how cold it was, right? Jeans on and farm boots because we're wading through mud and stuff like that. We get out there onto the uh, lake, and it was a three-man kayak. And so this friend of mine's in the front, I'm in the back, and his younger brother, who was only 11 that stage, in the middle. And he couldn't swim. Okay. Um, I can swim. I mean, I had to learn when I went to Kalamunda School, and uh, we had to learn to swim. Um, fortunately, it was just in the swimming pool. Um, so it was good, because I knew that if I was ever in a boat or... Something in it capsized, um, you know, 150 metres from shore, I'd be safe. Um, if it was further than that, I'd be in trouble um, because I could only swim about 150 metres, which is all you had to do to get your certificate at that stage. And um, here we are on this lake and rowing across and I'm already beginning to think, why did I agree to this? And we're halfway across and the young guy in the middle dropped his oar. And... We both did, uh, Albie at the front and myself at the back, both did something you should never do, um, and that is we both leant over at the same time to pick it up. <laughs> okay? 
So there we are, both leaning over, and all of a sudden the kayak starts to go. And we then both did something you should never do. And that is automatically sit back up again. So we automatically sat back up, and again, of course, it flipped. Totally flipped over, and we were dumped out of it. And there we are, it was absolutely freezing, absolutely freezing. And um, we were trying to turn it back up, and it wouldn't it seem to fill more with water. We've got the young guy in the middle who can't swim, so we had to balance him on the bottom of the, you know, so where, the, where you get in is now underneath. And we had to put him on top, and, and um, we're trying to go back. And Albie's the strongest swimmer, so he's at the front sort of swimming and pulling along, and I was at the back kicking because I'm not just no good swimmer. And um, there we are going along. And several things that happened for me on that whole thing. Firstly, um, we're going along and I suddenly started to feel, um, just hadn't realised how warm the water was. Just suddenly started to feel fantastically warm and I thought, man, I could just relax in this. So I did. Just let go and relaxed and, and watched the kayak begin to move off and I didn't even feel like calling out you know and part of God's grace was that we tied the kayak to the car the front and the back using the twine that gets used for the sheet, for the bales of, of hay and somehow mysteriously as the kayak moved one of the twine wrapped itself around my wrist and pulled me along with it because I'd had it at that point and I can still remember, because I honestly just wanted to lie back in that water and just relax. It was just the most fantastic feeling. And all I can remember at that point or after, I don't even know how long, I think we were in the water for about an hour and a half or so, two hours, and some people on the shore had seen the trouble. In fact, one of the, and another brother had seen the trouble and he frantically grabbed out a tractor tyre from the boot and they were trying to pump it up and things like that take a long time to pump up, folks, I can assure you. The next thing I can remember is someone sort of half reaching to grab me and that was it. I don't remember anything more. Um, but I do remember several things. Firstly, I remember having a very deep conversation with God. And at that stage, um, it was I knew that God was there and there was a discussion we had about my life um, and what had, what had I done up until that point. And it wasn't that I was concerned about the fact that I felt I had not yet had the time to start living for God. And I'm saying, God, I wanted to do this for you and I wanted to do that. It was honestly a very clear conversation. And yet I was also very aware of this, that at that point God was not interested in what I had done. He was interested in who I was. It wasn't about what I'd done. I was concerned about what I'd done. God, in one sense, if I could say, couldn't have cared less about what I'd done. He was interested in who I was and in my relationship with him. And I've never forgotten that. There's a whole lot more, which I won't tell you at this stage because it'll take too long, but there's a whole lot more. And that's why I suddenly realised, because at that point, uh, the doctors told me later that, um, in fact, I'd, I'd, I had semi-crossed that border over into death. And the next thing I can only remember is someone pumping me and getting the water out and, and giving me you know, mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and bringing me back to life, but I will never forget that conversation with God. And it made me realise that even at that point, when we get to that point where it almost seems impossible, I want to tell you something, God does come. God does talk. And that's, that was a preview. I didn't know that years later I'd be in the ministry in Kalgoorlie where the suicide rate was one of the highest in, in the state. And I would end up doing the suicide, the, the people who had suicided, I'd end up doing the funerals. Four, because none of the other ministers wanted to do it in the town. 
And the reason I was able to do it is because I knew that even at that point of death, God comes and speaks to us. And I've never forgotten that, never forgotten that that's given me a whole new lease. But that's not the main point. The main point for me was this. When I had recovered, I remember walking out. There were several things that happened for me. Firstly, the sun really was bright. The sky was a lot bluer. The grass really was a lot greener. I suddenly saw things with a new light that I'd never seen before. And then I saw the young guy who was the one who'd come out on the tractor tyre and who'd actually saved me uh, from death. And I want to tell you something, I loved that guy. Loved that guy, you know. And I would have done anything for him. I, and I helped support him through his years of co- you know, college and stuff like that. Because from that point of view, even though he was younger, he was you know, 14 years old, but he had come and at that point, when I was at that point of death, he had saved me. He had pulled me back up out of the waters of death and he breathed life into me. And I tell you now, it gave me a totally different look on life. It gave me a totally different understanding and appreciation of that guy. We remain friends forever because he saved me. And I want to tell you something, it changed my outlook. It changed how I see things. It changed how it didn't make me perfect. You know, at all, and still made awful mistakes and stuff through life. But that guy remains special to this day. He could have asked anything he wanted of me, I would have done it for him because he was special. And that's exactly the situation that we're talking about with Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ reached down to you and I, even when we're about to go into the waters of death, and he pulls us out and he says, I want to pour my love into you. that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, listen, this is why we sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus Christ, because of what Jesus Christ has done. He didn't have to reach down into death, but he did. He didn't have to reach down to you in the midst of death, but he did. And now I'm saying to you, listen, this is, yes, he saved you from death, but more than that, he now wants to pour his resurrection life into you. You know, this young guy who saved me, he poured his life into me. When he breathed his breath into me, he poured his life into me. I only live because of him and because he breathed into me. And you and I as Christians, we only live because of the life Jesus breathes into us and pours into us. That's the message Paul's getting at. That's what he's saying you inherit. That's what he's saying. This is part of your inheritance, the kingdom and everything else as well. This is all part of it, and you will inherit the kingdom. But I want to tell you something, you inherit something even more. You inherit my resurrection life. And if the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and could lift him up and empower him again and bring life back, if that same Holy Spirit, Paul says, now lives in you and in me. What a fantastic thing. That's something we should really be rejoicing about this morning. That's something we should be really embracing and saying, this is what makes me a Christian. This is what makes me get up. Not just knowing in my head that Jesus died for me, but knowing in my heart and experiencing my heart the passion that Jesus pours into my life day after day. And he will if we let him. And this is the message that I want to share with you this morning. Is this, Jesus wants to pour his passion into your life. And maybe some of us this morning, we really only know the head knowledge stuff. We really only know... Um, that Jesus did die for us. We know that, and that's fantastic. That is something well worth knowing and being aware of and believing in. But have you felt the passionate touch of Jesus? Have you felt what it is to be lifted up 
from the waters of death and to feel the very life breath of Jesus being poured into you and into your life. Because that's what he wants us to experience. And quite honestly, folks, once we begin to experience it, it will totally transform our lives forever. It will transform you, transform me. We won't see things the same way. And I remember the first time when I ever preached a sermon that really touched people's hearts. You know, I'd gone down to the country out of the Bible college and the Bible college had said to me, Gene, you need to be prepared. So prepare your sermons. And they got me to prepare my sermons about six months in advance. You know, so that it was easy. I didn't have to worry and I could get up there and preach them because I had my notes and, and stuff like that. And I can still remember that people, people, I looked in the congregation and people were bored. And, and that, that was only three weeks into it. And I'm thinking, I've got six months of sermon yet. You know? And if they're bored after three weeks, what are they going to be like after six months? You know? Either dead or, or you know, looking for another pastor. Anyway, one particular, um, one particular weekend, I'd been out on the, in the farm because I was living on a farm as well as preaching. And um, we'd been going out and we'd been burning, pulling up the, the roots in the ground and putting them in a pile and then burning them, which is something you do on the farms. And it's great at the end of the day to look back at these piles of lit embers, you know, which just give the, you, you feel fantastic. You know you've done some good work. And as I came in, from outside and sat down to prepare all of a sudden it was like God sank that message into my heart and I got up that Sunday and to preach and it was like it wasn't me preaching it was like it was someone else it was like I'm listening to myself almost you know thinking wow this is a good sermon you know man I need to take notes on this you know <laughs> and um, it was it was something else it was God it wasn't me it wasn't something God had given me the words to say and I'll never forget it because that morning sort of gave an appeal and about, I think about 15 people came forward, one of them an 85-year-old lady. She said to me, Jean, and this, is, this broke me, this actually did break me. She said to me, Jean, I've been going to church all my life. This is the first time I've heard God's word and actually understood it. And that floored me because one, I knew it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I hadn't created this message. This is something God had given me the words to say. And I learned some valuable lessons. I learned firstly, do you know what? I've got to let God give me the words. I've got to ask God to give me the words because if it's just me speaking, a mind speaks to a mind, Proverbs says, but only the heart can reach the heart. And when we allow the Holy Spirit, I discovered that morning a passion. I never wanted to preach a dead sermon again. I wanted to be able to preach with passion. I wanted to be able to preach and get the heart of Jesus across because I'd experienced it once. If you experience the passion of Jesus, if you experience the love of Jesus and it suddenly overwhelms you, which sometimes it does, you'll never be the same and you won't want to be the same because you want to experience that love again and again and again. You want to experience the passion of Jesus again and again and again and I think God wants us to experience that. All it takes is a move of roughly X amount of centimetres from here to here. Allowing God's word to go from here to here. That's what Paul's getting at. After all his reasoning in the early chapters, he comes to this beautiful chapter where he says, listen guys, I've been saying all this. I've been going through all this. I've been giving you all the technical details. Do you know what? They count for nothing. What really counts is this, that Jesus died for you. That's not the only thing though. He also rose again and God wants to pour resurrection life 
into you. If we can discover this morning that resurrection life, if we can discover and allow that passion that God feels for us to come into our hearts, we'll discover a whole new dimension of God that we maybe have never experienced or only experienced once but we passionately desire again. So I want to challenge you this morning. Don't stop at those first few chapters of Romans, which is about the law and stuff like that. Go on in Romans 5 to 8, which talks about the passion of Jesus and being raised and filled with the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. And I believe this morning there are people here that he wants to touch with the resurrection life. You've come to the cross, you know his forgiveness, and he has forgiven you. That's not a, in question. But there's just something more that you wish you had. And I want to tell you this morning, that something more may well be that resurrection life of Jesus Christ that he wants to share with you and give you that passion and understanding so that when you walk out, the sun is brighter, and the grass is greener, and the sky is that bit bluer because Jesus has reached down and lifted you from those waters of death and breathed his breath of life into you. Passion. Let's pray. Father, praise you and thank you this morning. Thank you for your word and thank you that you do not leave us emptied. You want to fill us. And yes, you've forgiven our sins and we praise you and thank you for that. But you want to fill us with your resurrection life. You want to fill us with a new passion and new love and a new understanding. Thank you for the message of Paul that stands there for us this morning and reaches out to us and challenges us. Father, I just pray that you would continue to minister to us and strengthen us, challenge us that we would not settle for anything less. Lord, I pray, help us even to be prepared to knock down the very gates of heaven until we know that resurrection life. But I want to praise you and thank you for this, that you have already said that that resurrection life the power of the Holy Spirit, that dynamos, dynamite power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is alive and in us. Teach us how to allow that to come out and to be a part of our lives, I pray. We give you glory, we give you praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Kalamata Church of Christ. If you are inspired or challenged by this message, we hope that you will share it with a friend. And hey, let us know too. Find us at kalamatachurchchrist.org.au Also look for us on Twitter and Facebook.